You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. COP27 held last year in Sharm el-Sheikh reached a landmark agreement to establish a loss and damage fund. Rich countries have agreed to bear some of the costs for permanent and irreversible climate impacts experienced by poorer, less developed nations. But what exactly does loss and damage look like? And who is the most affected by the climate crisis? I'm Jacob Gamble, broadcasting from the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Today on Earth Matters, loss and damage. Voices from East Africa. My name is Jumbi Morris, and I'm a youth organ climate activist and uh, the CEO of a non-profit organization, Earth Volunteer. Nyombi Morris is a climate activist from Uganda. He's the CEO of a non-profit environmental organization, Earth Volunteers, and a coordinator of the Fridays for Future Uganda climate justice movement. What does climate change look like in your community uh, and in Uganda? Yeah, actually, climate change in Uganda, uh, I can say, is not so different from you guys because I've been checking on Austria, New Zealand today, they are going through floods, uh, landslide where you see people crying. This has been happening. So sometimes I'm like, I think you guys now, you have started witnessing what we are going through, what we have been going through on a daily basis. Uh, Uganda today is going through a lot, uh, but in different parts of the country, like in north, there is a drought. And when you come to central, there is pollution. At the same time, there is floods whenever it rains heavily. And this has been linked to maybe human activities. And even uh, we people, we have failed to, to, to understand our our role in protecting our lives, but also our environment. Because if they tell you that when you throw a plastic bottle in, in a trench, it will not go, it will remain there for more than 500 years because plastic doesn't, doesn't just melt from nowhere. It will stay there for years. And whenever it rains, you see water coming heavily and it is blocked. It can't move because of these plastic wastes. Uh, that's why in the central, we have floods whenever it rains. And when you go to western Uganda, it is another different thing. It is floods on a frequent time. Like even in December, there is a community uh, that uh, that was attacked by floods. Like the wetland moved over 500 miles. It came close to people and these people were forced to evacuate. When you go today in that area, you'll find that water is still there. People's house were left and people decided to go and stay in camps today in Western Uganda. So you'd be like, I think the state of emergency is here. 
but the government doesn't care. When you go to other areas, there are a lot of different things, like even in uh, northern Uganda, uh, if you add of locust infestation that that occurred in 2020, they ate all the food to annex and that this community in, in northern Uganda is called Karamoja region. Uh, it's still struggling to get their food out of the garden. Like they have failed to get food out of the garden because there was no support to after the locust infestation eating all the green they had. Today, they are looking for funders, and sometimes funders promise to provide seeds, but those seeds don't come in time, and fertilizers are nowhere to be seen. At the same time, it is too hot that side. We are so close to Kenya, whereby even Kenya is going through tough times. So that area, I can say, is also part of Kenya because it is so dry. People are dying of hunger. Last year, we lost over 900 people due to starvation, 900 in just three weeks, between July and June. From June, around 20-something, to July 15th, we lost over 900 people due to starvation. I was among the few people who distributed for that side, so I gathered a lot of stories, stories that were so hard to tell even. So climate change affects Uganda, but in a different way. Some areas are okay, other areas are not, but those who are mostly vulnerable are those who have contributed the least, are those who don't even have money, who don't even have support, who are not even in position to be heard. The greatest risks and vulnerability to climate change are experienced by youth and older adults, disabled people, ethnic, gender and sexual minorities and poor communities. Within these population groups, particularly women and girls, bear the brunt. I'm really glad you touched on that point about those who are most affected are often the ones that don't have um, a lot of money. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about which groups do you think are most affected uh, by climate change in your community? Yeah, uh, I think... Uh, when you talk about the inequalities that are being uh, fueled by the climate change, you can't fail to talk about uh, women and girls because uh, when you come to these communities where floods as occur, it is like a commodity. If you have a, a girl at your home and you believe you cannot survive anymore, you can give her out to it to a man and they give you money like in exchange. So uh, the vulnerability has so much in women and girls to an extent that uh, some women are left alone in the room because men, whenever things happen, they just disappear. They run away and they leave you with kids. So you have to make sure those kids survive. So in the end, it is very hard for you as a, as a lady to think about the future because you'll be like, I think my future has ended since I gave birth. Now I need to take care of my, my children. Whereby you could be a leader at some point if you had continued pursuing uh, your dream. But because of these impacts, they can't allow you to settle. You end up like turning your focus on a different thing. That's why today in Uganda, it is very hard to see leaders who are ladies, like ladies or uh, women in leadership position. It is very, very hard because of uh, 
because of lack of uh, experience, lack of uh, requirements that are needed to 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 like to position yourself in that position, like to try to 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 vie for any position because they don't even receive enough education. We don't have we don't have that education that to, is provided to climate refugees, to climate migrants. We don't have that. We don't have access to free food in case something happens. We don't have reservoirs. We don't have them. So sometimes the biggest impacts are on women and girls. For us, I can try something. I can go look for a job. I can ask people to hire me because I I can somewhere energetic. I can carry anything. So it is very easy for people to hire me than a girl. Let's say uh, when you talk about drought today that has been happening in northern Uganda, they told me we move more than six kilometers looking for water. And these sometimes the parents can't go there. So they end up sending their children to water wells whereby they are so risky to annex and that some don't even go back home. They don't come back. Imagine sending you to, to go and look for water and you happen not to come back. Some die on the way. Others are kidnapped. Others are raped. So these are the injustices we are talking about that the inequalities that are being fueled by climate change are so hard even to tell because people have lost their lives. Continuing that theme about social, uh, environmental, political issues, what do you see as some of the challenges in being able to address the climate crisis uh, in your country and your community? Uh, first, I would say uh, there are two things that are being that are, are making it so hard for us to to solve this issue of climate change. One is. Uh, we don't have enough resources, but also beside we not having enough resources, we are also not prepared enough if the resources are available. Like if you happen to send us, let's say two billion for us to tackle climate change today with our political leaders who lack political will, that money will disappear. This has happened so many times where money is sent for adaptation and that money disappear and you fail to see that money. You fail to see the result from that money, you know? So that is a very big, big, big uh, challenge we have that uh, we cannot adapt, we cannot mitigate, but we can see. So that is the challenge I can see which is making it so hard for us to tackle climate change is we still have leaders who don't believe in climate change. When we're thinking about sort of global solutions being put on the table, uh, last year at the COP27, they were talking a lot about loss and damage, this idea that richer countries should pay uh, for the damages inflicted by climate change uh, on poorer countries. So I would be interested to hear, like, what are your thoughts on the deal that was put forward last year uh, at COP27? Yeah, I understand that uh, many celebrated, like, people were jubilating how that was a success, as it was in Africa. So they said, Africans, when they come together, they can make things happen. We have a strong voice. Of course, we have because uh, we are rising up and uh, our voices have been 
hard, like for the first time. But for me, I didn't celebrate because that is not the reason why we went to COP. Uh, COP 27 uh, was uh, an implementation COP. If you remember, that was the slogan that was trending, implementation COP. It is an implementation COP, not like the one in COP 26 where they said it was a do or die. This one was an implementation COP. Implementation meaning putting something in ground, putting something in ground beyond words you know, transition beyond words. But what I saw at COP was just words. And this uh, this uh, adding loss and damage on the agenda, it came on the last day, on additional day that was on Sunday 20th. You know, that is, that is a sign that uh, these people realized that they had no excuse. They had no result. You know, they, they spent two weeks in a conference trying to negotiate for the people who are out here suffering. But after realizing that the conference was failing, they decided to put it in agenda. So they did it to reduce people's pressure, you know, but they, not, they never did it in a way that uh, it was in plan. So it was due to the pressure that it was added, which is a sign that even if it is to be implemented, implemented, it will require time. It will require enormous force from young people. Because the climate crisis we are going through today is visible and it was created. And they know, they have acknowledged so many times that rich nations have to pay for their reparations. They have to pay for their losses and damage. They have to, to, to put, put down adaptation funds so people can adapt now. But this is still what. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today, we're hearing from two climate activists from East Africa. Hello, uh, my name is uh, um, Ineza Umoza Grace. I am from Rwanda and I like to be called Ineza because Ineza is a, a name that was given to me by my mom and it means kindness. And I am a, a young ecofeminist from my country. Uh, so that's who I am and I'm happy to be here. Ineza Grace is an ecofeminist from Rwanda. She's the founder of environmental advocacy group The Green Protector and the coordinator of a global network of youth climate leaders called the Loss and Damage Youth Coalition. In Australia, we very much see climate change as, you know, those bushfires that happened uh, a couple of years ago and all of the terrible flooding that has been occurring across the country. How does how do you see climate change in your community? How is it affecting you right now? I'm from Gwanda, which is a small country located uh, in in uh, East Africa, and we uh, we have like a climate that was tended to be uh, tropical because we are into tropical season. Uh, I mean, uh, geographically, but for us, uh, what we what I'm seeing right now is intensive rainfall that is uh, causing soil erosion and uh, uh, land degradation and landslide. And for us, for example, in my own context, so when I say that uh, we are losing, for example, 4,000 hectares of agricultural land, 
this is the number from 2020 during the pandemic. Because Rwanda source of economic or agriculture sector plays a huge role. And most of uh, the ones who are um, who practice agriculture are um, uh, located in the rural area and they are mostly women. And so when I say that we are losing 4,000 hectares of land, it means that we are not only uh, making um, hard for the future to be able to have food security in our in our community, but we are also we are also uh, having a social economic um, disadvantage, especially for rural communities. So that's why um, advocating for the fact that we uh, we need to see the establishment of uh, the loss and damage finance is to ensure that those communities are able to have. Uh, um, adequate response measures. But again, uh, in my country context, we also realized that wherever there is a problem, there is, a, there is a going to be a solution. Uh, so for example, um, we are called the land of the thousand hill, which means we have a lot of hills. If you want to hike, please visit our country. Um, I promise you, you won't, you won't, uh, uh, you won't miss an opportunity to hike. Uh, but the that also gave us like a very unique uh, um, landscape where we have a lot of uh, wetlands. And in the past, we uh, we know like wetlands are a little bit of like the lags of our planet because they can uh, um, uh, slow down in intensive rainfall and then provide water and then kind of reduce uh, um, the runoff, uh, making sure that maybe uh, the impacts can be minimized. So what our government did is to start um, a project uh, or like an initiative that is to uh, rehabilitate or, uh, wetlands. So by rehabilitation of the wetlands, it's giving us an opportunity, opportunity not only to address the intensive rainfall that we are facing, but also an opportunity to reshape what we are calling um, like economic development opportunity because we are believing that you can still be developed, uh, but with the green factor. So which, which is why our uh, economic development plan of our country is linked with the, how are we, how are we stable in terms of the environment? Like Africa is vulnerable, uh, that's according to science, to climate change impact, but we are also home of grown solution and we are taking actions right now. Since 1970, Rwanda's average temperature has increased by 1.7 degrees, further proof that despite emitting the least, it is African countries that tend to suffer the most from the climate change in the coming years. Do you describe yourself as an eco-feminist, which is a term that I haven't heard a lot before. So can you tell me a bit about what an eco-feminist is and you know how that kind of plays into your work i i need to be honest i'm asked that question a lot and uh, <laughs> but it's a it's a kind of a, um to make it short so eco-feminist has two parts so the first is eco and i like it to say that it stands in my belief that uh whatever harm we made to our planet we are able to uh to uh, redo it. I mean, I mean, not redo, like uh, um, reverse it. So whatever harms we cause, we are able to not cause it in the future. So I believe in the sustainability of our ecosystem. 
and feminist part um, is uh, I believe in the power of women to lead the change. And the reason why I focus on women is because through uh, through how the world evolved, um, women were the one who were pretty much oppressed um, in all the decision and everything. But I'm coming from from a country where women uh, are empowered to take risk and to just explore. But when I coming from uh, my government, um, like a local institution having a support, one is, once I step out of my country, I can have a sense of how women are being oppressed in from other region or other sectors. And the reason why I still make clear that I'm a feminist is just to ensure that whoever young person or any gender who's going to listen to me will also know that no matter who they are, they can still do it. They can they can lead the change in their community. Because if you have a vision, it's a vision for you. If nobody is seeing it, it's okay. As long as you know that you're doing something from your heart, and for me, something that is from my heart is uh, the protection of environment. You've obviously been involved in uh, climate for a long time now. What do you think are some of the challenges in addressing the climate crisis, specifically in your country? I would say addressing climate uh, crisis is... Uh, it, tend to, it, uh, it went to be political on the global scale. Uh, where people are seeing it as a something that needs to be negotiated. And for me, I think that it's something that needs to act on. It's not something to be negotiated on. Most of the time, people want to blame, but the others don't want to be blamed, but they need to take responsibility. So that kind of uh, not understanding is the one that I, I see happening, but I believe that we are moving in the era where um, now climate crisis makes sense, whether you, whatever, whenever you are located. Because now climate crisis, you can see it with your eyes, you can feel it. Because uh, even if you don't experience it at the first hand, you know someone somewhere who is uh, who is at the forefront. So that is, that that is the one thing that is bringing me hope. And the big challenge is around uh, um, the the. the um, the modality of explaining why it's climate crisis and the means to address it and ensuring that it's transparent and accessible. So that's the that's the biggest thing that I'm seeing as a challenge on a global scale. What are your thoughts on the loss and damage fund that was agreed upon at COP27 last year? Uh, so for me, I think uh, my my biggest is that it's a, it's a sign of hope because for the first time, the world agrees that uh, there's, uh, there's something that needs to be done in terms especially of uh, um, availing the finance that is needed to support frontline uh, community, developing countries, and states who are dealing with the um, climate change impact on a daily basis. So they agree on that one, so that is good. Um, and then it also gives like a um, like a sensation that now people are going to start listening to each other and listening to understand. Uh, but it also entails that you are going to be have um, some work to be done, uh, especially in uh, ensuring that the uh, 
the fund or the decision is not going to be um how how you say like a trash down uh like it will be meaningful for the for for those who need it so in terms of uh, defining accessibility modalities or like the source of finance that is going to be in the fund and also um that the definition of what is the action towards loss and damage because to be to be honest uh, most of the time i feel like sometimes the activity those that are for adaptation are framed as loss and damage which is which is not okay because adaptation is adaptation and loss and damage is what happened beyond adaptation but the thing for me, I uh, believe is that if you are if you invest a little bit much more into adaptation, you are going to be minimizing the cost of uh, loss and damage in the future. But that's that that does not mean that uh, if you adapt, if you fund adaptation projects, you are not going to face loss and damage because even if we limit the goal at one point five right now, we are still going to be facing loss and damage because. The impact is already uh, happening, and the change is already in our atmosphere, and uh, the science is clear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've probably got time for one more question. So I want to ask if you had a message uh, for Australian listeners or people um, or leaders from the West, what would it be? Um, my message would be, um, you can do something on your personal level or individual, like, uh, family level, institutional level, there always something you can do because what we need is to have, um, a sense of, uh, global solidarity in standing together in uh, addressing the climate crisis that we are living right now. And each of us can play a role whether you can sign our, you can sign a petition on, on uh, for example, loss and damage, because that's what, that's what is on my heart right now. Uh, you can sign a petition, you can make sure that, for example, other are aware of, of the fact that climate crisis is happening right now. And then you can hold your leaders accountable. The other thing is really, really um, have hope because I know it's scary and, but we need to have hope so that we can be able to act concretely right now. I am part of the generation that does not only blame uh, past mistakes, but I'm also ready to be active stakeholders in designing solution today, which I believe uh, each one of us can be. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Earth Matters. A big thank you to Aneza and Yombi for their time and the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support of this program. Thanks as always to the Community Radio Network for broadcasting us nationwide. I'm Jacob Gamble. We'll be back at the same time next week.